0: You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at seroven.com.
1: Welcome to Groker Eat Arrange with me, Sarah Raven, and today not my partner in crime, Arthur Parkinson, but an old friend of mine called Tanya Compton, who I'm just going to describe quickly before we get cracking. Hello, Tanya. Hello, Sarah. We're exactly the same age, and Tanya was the first person to commission an article, a gardening article from me. I think it must be jolly nearly, well, certainly 25, if not more, years ago when I was just giving up medicine, when she was a, the garden commissioning editor for House and Garden magazine. And so that's pretty amazing because I was only in my mid-20s, so she was already very senior in the magazine world at that age, which is, which is pretty incredible. Anyway, she's then gone on and done lots of stuff, uh, mainly around garden design, and that's how, again... I've got to re-meet Tanya because we were together on a wildflower holiday trip in the Peloponnese this spring in early April. And to be totally honest, I was slightly anxious about it. I was working incredibly hard. I didn't know anyone going. I've never done a group outing ever before in my life. And Adam had booked it as a sort of semi sort of surprise. Anyway, I arrived slightly anxious And I had the best holiday, honestly, ever in a place called Ilias Holidays, where you walked between one beautiful bedroom to another, not too much of that at night, of course, Um, (laughs) but through these unbelievable flower meadows of just the most exquisite beauty like you have ended up in heaven. And it was just the most wonderful, wonderful time where we went for walks every day Finding flowers identified mainly by Tanya and her husband, Jamie Compton, who she refers to as the botanist, who is the most brilliant botanist. And every evening we would have all the flowers that we'd seen in the day would be there identified in little bottles with labels um, so that we could then learn them. And Tanya was the person who taught me an Ami-like plant and the name of it, which is actually a cross between sort of Ami and Orlea but it's called Tordillium. And I couldn't get the name, but Tanya then told me that it's like the, the keep in Cornwall. And that was then how I remembered it. So incredibly welcome, Tanya. But of course, that's not what we're talking about at all today. We are talking about dye plants, because that is in fact your great new thing, which is you come here and you go into the garden and you pick petals from tulips have dropped to the ground or dahlias and you take them home and you then use them to dye the most beautiful silk and that's what I wanted to talk about is your incredible expertise in plant dyes. Well it's
0: not yet expertise I'm very much in the early days of discovering this is year three from a extraordinary light bulb moment seeing a pool of iris ink Form on the kitchen table and thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get a paintbrush. I bet nobody's ever painted with Iris before. But of course, the more I delved into it, the more I realized how totally naive I was and that there's a, an entire world of professional people out there. And I'm very much at the amateur end of the scale, but I'm obsessed with color. And I went to an amazing workshop run by Flora Abuthnot. And from there, I was taught about mordanting and preparing silk. She gave us lots of different fabrics to use, but it was the silk that completely captivated me because of the sheen and the way it absorbs the colour and transforms leftovers from a compost heap into these unbelievably beautiful scarves or stretches of fabric so it's an obsession and um you've you've seen me (laughs) in my obsessive play picking up the remnants of plants because uh one of the things I can't bear to do is pick anything that the bees haven't finished with yes it's got to be the aftermath and it's sort of capturing an aftermath of a plant
1: and then what you've taught me is that actually, as they're sort of decomposing, they release their pigment better. Is, is that well, right? some do and some don't. Okay. Some things will... Um, oh, is that a mouse? We might just cut there. Uh, well, <laughs> that was quite a funny little interlude because a mouse has just pretty much run across Tanya's foot. And I think they must be coming in already because it's so dry. So we've now put a source of water out for this this little tiny rather sweet and pretty little mouse or maybe a vole actually Um, anyway so we're going to carry on to the (laughs) decomposition (laughs) yes
0: no most things are really good to try and get at that moment when they're just still on the plant before they've ended up on the ground but I do spend a lot of time scrabbling around in the in the ashes of what was plant material I had a, a very funny moment at the plant library at the barn where Tom, Tom and Stuart Sue Smith. Stuart Smith yeah. live uh, a couple of weekends ago and they have a row of Coryopsis. I think he said it was Zagreb and I didn't want to pick the flowers because they were still busy and as you know coryopsis tickweeds have so many tiny little buds I'd spent all day there so I thought okay I'll just scrape my hands around in the sand and try and sift out the petals from the sand and took this very unpromising couple of handfuls of brown petals back put them in a bowl boiled them up with a bit of water and an hour later, out came the most extraordinary burnt orange, sort of Hellenium wall trout, but yes. sheeny colored scarf. Tanya that-
1: showed it to me. And it is, it's like, it's the trendiest, trendiest of colors. It's sort of a cross between gold and kind of ochre. And it's just uh, radiantly wonderful. Mm. And it's just, that's amazing. So will, will you just explain? So you, you, you collect the petals, you put them in a jam jar or a paper bag or whatever. Sometimes, I,
0: if I'm doing fresh things from like dahlias, if I've got a mass of dahlias, actually what I tend to do is collect things, put them in vases and have them as cut flowers and yep. then I'll scoop them all up afterwards. Oh, yeah. So I, I keep lots of paper bags going, which drives Jamie and the children. Other houses, mm, you don't want to open the unused shower door because <laughs> you'll, you'll come out into a cascade of confetti. So I collect them throughout the summer yeah. and have lots of little paper bags with names on them mm-hmm. so that I don't mix up my daily soul man with my... Daily black hero. Yes, and if I've got enough, I'll do a single, like a single malt. (laughs) Okay, you know, so I'll I'll use a different variety, and then at the end when I've used them for a single scarf, because this is actually all about I'm I'm building up a kind of library. Yes, so it's it's a memory. It's like a sort of trace of the plants. Yeah, plants that have gone. And then I'll put them all together for a mixed scarf mm. because they yield so much. My my problem is knowing when to stop yes. because I could, it, sometimes dahlias, for example, will do, you could do six dips. So you collect and either do fresh or dry. It doesn't matter, okay. actually, wow, with most things. So you could, I actually, I did um, a scarf this week with a box of heritage tulips that Polly Nicholson had sent me two years ago during lockdown from Bainton Mm. and I've been feeling very guilty that I haven't been using them but they've been so precious and they've Mm. been in this beautiful Bainton box and I made a dye bath with them this last week and they've made an apple Green. I've never had no. a, a beautiful sort of <gasps> best lawn, best show lawn mixed with apple green. It's quite wow. beautiful. So I can't wait to tell Polly. They were totally desiccated and some of them had gone white with, you know. Gosh. So I imagine there would have been more dye in it if I'd done it a bit sooner. But that was two years, two years on. So that's um, incredible.
1: Yeah. And so to make the dye bath, are you literally. Boy, you know, explain explain how you do it. Well, some
0: things I'm doing in jam jars, the jam jars you referred to, when I put freshly decomposing flowers into a jam jar and then fill it up with water and put some thread into it because I do not just scarves, I mainly do embroidery thread. And so the embroideries will end up as this, again, this sort of kaleidoscope, but it's a sort of homage to beautiful plants i
1: just want to explain because unfortunately we haven't got pictures of this but tanya's got this absolutely beautiful embroidery where there is for every week of the year there's a plant that she's harvested and so it's sort of like this unbelievably subtle but also quite bright and vibrant range of 365 um do I, I don't mean that. Yeah, yes, so it's every day. Yeah, yeah. It was Sorry, every day. it's not every week, it's yeah. every day. It's yeah. 365 little squares on this embroidery. And each one represents a kind of a plant memory. And it's like you're reading this book, Miss Wilmot's Ghost, at the moment, and it's like Tanya Compton's ghost. But it isn't your ghost, of course. It's the it's plant's ghost. The plant's ghost. Or the combination of the two's ghost. And it's terribly romantic and beautiful and sort of the, you know, it's 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 absolutely the perfect thing but also what i love about that is it feels really manageable for someone like me that i could just put some silk thread you, into everyone could yeah. it everyone can do this and all
0: i do is buy tiny little jam jars as though they're sort of the ones that you'd get in a hotel breakfast yes. and put the plants in and then you have to mordant the silk so mordanting is the preparation of whatever fabric you're using. It could be cotton. It can be linen. I just am obsessed with the silk process. And also the silk that I get is from this extraordinary silk weaver based in uh, in Hertfordshire who has her own organic mulberry trees and she feeds her silkworms with her organic mulberry and then allows them to finish their life cycle so it's 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 termed peace silk because rather than treating the trees with with lots of chemicals and then hormone feeding the silkworms and then uh-huh. killing the silkworms halfway through their life before they've eaten their way out of there uh-huh cocoon cocoon, um she lets them complete their life cycle so she gets half the yield so it's very expensive silk but has this amazing beauty and also the texture of it i find i've i've compared it to buying silk from other grow you know other Mm -hmm. non-organic silks and it just i don't know i don't know if it's me but it doesn't seem to have nearly as much of a sheen to it or a beauty a residual beauty so then uh you mordant your fabric in anything from rhubarb leaves to oak galls to alum which is actually what i use because mm. i have it's a process that takes a long time i started only using simplokas which is used as a sort of face mask in india and it's mm. got a lot of aluminium in it. It's a leaf with which stores a lot of aluminium, but it's Gosh. a much longer process. Yeah. So I found I wasn't dying as yeah. much as I wanted to because the such palaver. yeah. So I do use alum, but I have a an area of the garden I put all my used mordanting baths, and the plants are growing just as well there. Oh, yeah. I'm doing it as a sort of trial, hope you know, to see if I'm building up a bad residue and if it's affecting the planting, but actually it's not at all.
1: And and your worry would be a sort of heavy metal?
0: Yes, yeah, 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 but the quantities I'm using as a domestic dyer are so tiny. But I, I am very aware, and one of the feelings behind this process is also this need for us all to try and stop using the chemicals and yeah. the I think the dye process and the fabric making process and the fashion industry are yes. up there in being the most catastrophic devastators yeah. of water systems and especially rivers yeah where well they... just
1: like the uh, cut flower industry you know yes um, we had Shane Conley here last week and he was explaining that the chemicals used on a lot of imported flowers are um, when your hands are analysed, having having handled bunches of roses, for instance, they are 10 times the recommended quantity in foodstuffs, and yet it's on your hands, mm. and why mm. are you not going to put... Anyway, that's yeah. another subject which we'll cover us another time. Yes. But completely, so just trying to be responsible about yes. everything from where the silk comes from to what you're putting...
0: Yes, I must say, though, that with alum, I'm really uh, pay a lot of attention to when I'm actually making my mordant baths and dealing with the mordanting process, not mordanted, but that during that process, I will wear gloves and I will wear a mask because aluminium is very closely, it's recognised as being a dementia accelerator. And I'm losing my marbles quite enough for not to <laughs> was have to Aluminum pots, I
1: remember them suddenly being withdrawn. At, um...
0: Yes, but this is neat crystals of <laughs> aluminium. Okay. So, but, so that process, I, I have sort of one shed where I do that separately. Okay. And I go in and I look as though I'm coming out of a nuclear bunker with a mask on. But so, so
1: just to be, to, to, mm.
0: with the little threads, they still need the mordant, otherwise yes. they won't. Yeah. Okay. If if I put it. silk thread into the richest dahlia juice, mm-hmm. if I put it under a tap, the dahlia yes. juice would run out, yes. and you'd have a sort of grey yes. colour that you could then not wash out of the silk. Okay. So it's really important to have that. It's a binding agent. Yeah. It it has it a chemical. Yes, it has a chemical reaction with whatever pigment you are presenting it with.
1: And does it alter the the colour of what you've
0: originated? Yes, it, mm, yes. In that, if you can add extra alum into some pots in order to brighten some colours, okay, but it doesn't brighten all colours. Okay, but I never do that. I thought I was going to do lots of experiments with adding
1: different concentrations. Called, yes,
0: they have a name which I will try and remember at some stage, where you add potassium or calcium carbonate or, <sighs> but actually I've, it's too much of a palaver again. Yeah, yeah. And also most of the time people cook up, if I'm doing a scarf, I would generally have to cook the plant material in order to help it to exude it, yeah. release its dye. But more and more I'm, Again, lazier and lazier. I just leave things out in the sun. Mm. I've got an open shed because they get really smelly, some of these dye baths. Yes. But I get uh, poppy petals that haven't been heated make the most beautiful plum colors. Gosh, Whereas uh, dahlias such as Blackjack yeah. and Dark Spirit, if you... Put them in heat, the scarf goes green. If you leave them to just let the sun release heat from the sun, then they make these amazing purples. So oh, the, the application of heat has a massive impact on how something's going to look. So, Budlier, I did a Budlier scarf last week that I left in a dye bath in the sun and it's come out a sort of rather murky mustard powder sort of color whereas if I had heated that same kilo of buddlia I would have had a luminous
1: sunshine yellow
0: so it's you know I'm sort of learning which ones I can get away with but I uh, partly just out of speed and speeding up the uh, process by heating yeah. It being so time-consuming, I just leave them in little jars. Yeah. And then out a week later pops this mm. extraordinary thread. I've got some really good, I'll show you later, all the threads I did from the
1: tulips here. Oh, and and that's what's so incredible, I think, I find is, I mean, maybe it's not incredible because they all have different pigments because they're all in different colours, but, but I remember you showing me before a range that you get from different dailies. And I mean... They couldn't be more different. They couldn't be a bigger range of of, of colours, even though it's the same family.
0: Yellow dahlias, the sort of dahlias that probably are only grown on a show bench garden. Yes, bright yellow pom pom dahlias make the most incredible Coryopsis orange.
1: Wow, I see, yeah.
0: isn't that interesting? So uh, the dahlias I grow at home are very, very different to the dahlias you'd see in Sarah Raven's
1: cutting garden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what are, if you were to kind of, because people, most of the people listening to us are going to be gardeners, if you were to want to start and you were to think, okay, I'm going to grow three dye plants that I'm just going to have very minimal experiments with, what would be the three that you would really recommend? Dahlia dark spirit, right? Dahlia striped vulcan. Ah,
0: and I don't know. Striped oh, striped line. vulcan is a not dinner plate, but it's it's yellow with red stripes. Wow! It's and it makes an unbelievable Coreopsis orange. Maybe not Coreopsis because you have to do a lot of picking. Yeah, so it's so didly. Yes, yeah. but for me, that's why I do it because I'm actually you know, sh- sharing here, I'm actually quite bored of gardening. Yes. I love growing plants, but I'm no longer somebody who wants to be in borders, weeding yeah. and deadheading. Yeah. But I want an engagement with plants. Yeah, absolutely. And so th- this is actually, this whole process is is a sort of subterfuge way of keeping me engaged with nature and plants, but from a different perspective, so, uh, daily is a really good bang for your buck as a beginner. Yeah, and budlia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah budlia is is a really amazing one because you can cut it with impunity. Yes, I do find I'm a bit OCD on train journeys now. I'm passing the banks of budlia and I'm going <gasps> all that wasted dye material. And it doesn't matter what color
1: again. So it could be the self seeded, Moby no. purple one. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Whichever it is, it makes a yellow, mm. you know, mm. a bright blue dahlia. Oh, you know, Lock Inch, from Lock Inch to Ruby to Black Diamond or Black Knight. Yeah. They all make these beautiful, vibrant yellows. And there's an amazing book that I'd recommend everyone to get, which is she's called Jenny Dean. She's, um, and her book, Wild Colors is uh, in paperback, tenth edition. It's an extraordinary book because it shows you all the different plants you can use, and it's it's a very good guide. It's like one of your cookery books. It's a sort of practical and and wonderful.
1: And wool have you have you ever have you ever done wool? I mean, my no. my, my niece it's actually really. Wonderful. She's moved near here, just sort of twenty minutes from here. And one of the first things she did, her husband gave her a, a, a into the woods foraging dye course. A, a sort of someone came, and you go into her house, now, and above her fireplace. She's got all these skeins of wool that they did with different lichens and different mosses and things, and they're so sort of beautiful, slightly kind of color banded from from very pastel to more intense and just wonderful and and then i mean she hasn't made them into something cuz they're just so lovely just like they that are so beautiful like that yeah no i'm i'm not a knitter no and i love seeing
0: that and yeah. i but again i haven't i found my niche yes absolutely um, with the silk and yeah. I'm also I love really bright colors and yes. of course you can get them on the wool I went to an yeah, exhibition no, are, in basketball they but they're in that sort of muted mossy they are. end of the dying spectrum yeah. and I'm after bling yeah. you know if yeah. I could have I'm after silver and gold and sequins
1: and yeah. you know fluorescent neon the more neon the happier I am and so, sort of before we wrap up, I mean, courses-wise, so the Flora Arbuthnot one, that's down in the West Country, isn't it?
0: Yes, I don't know if Flora actually is still, still running courses. Okay. She might not be. I go to some wonderful courses in Brixton. In fact, I keep going back because it's like a studio, which is Ceres, C-E-R-E-S, Natural Die Prints, and they've developed a really brilliant way of making print pastes so you can do screen printing mm. with dye pastes so you make Gosh, your wow. paste yes. in the studio
1: and again and so then,
0: chemical all that stuff often isn't exactly. it exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. and so here you are, and then you steam it and you, you again it's on mordanted material but actually the fabric is moderned. but they often use white fabric or calico because they're they're teachers in the london universities so they're very in tune with the whole ecological movement of yeah. as much zero waste as possible so they they have taught me how to how to print um Gosh. onto fabric which Incredible. is just another extension. So their courses are wonderful. And I think Jenny Dean has just actually run a course at
1: the Ditchling Museum, which oh, okay. is the where the, the goddess of dyes right. set up. And then, I mean, you know, I follow various people on, on Instagram, Natural Dye Works and various others. But I think you should be able to find if you Google someone near you who could start you off couldn't couldn't yes it, you know, if you there's just want one to. called botanical
0: colors there are some amazing indigo yes dyers.
1: <gasps> like in rajasthan
0: yes and there are well there are two dyers i follow abroad who are just heroes of the ecological movement as well one's called abu bakar fofana mm. uh, we'll and put all
1: these names On the podcast notes, everyone, so you don't have to scribble them down. He's he's Malian, and
0: Mm. his practice is in Mali, but he travels to Botanical Colors in Seattle and does courses there. He does courses in France, and then Porfirio Gutierrez, who has a family run, I think, third-generation dye business in Mexico Gosh. where they harvest cochineal. <gasps> and and he goes into the spiritual practice of his family and about the cultural significance of their weaving and right. the dyes that they use. So that's a... Oh, there goes little Mousy again.
1: <laughs> Over your <laughs> toes now, toes. Sarah. <laughs> I wonder if he still wants water or she... And then, do you know at all whether anyone's putting it onto paint for walls? You know, the natural... Well, I think you
0: can get natural pigments but to put into lime wash. I did actually that with woad. There's, I don't know if they're still running, they might be. There's a company, this was actually where I began. I went to write about a garden outside Stirling, and I wish I could remember the Name of the gorgeous GP and his partner who,
1: well, we'll put it in I the podcast. Was, next yes, we find it.
0: Uh, Dun Dun Eld, I think the garden was called. This was a long, long time ago, and they had a beautiful calamineist painting against a woad wall, and this woad wall was just pulsating. Wow. And I said, "How on earth have you made that beautiful wall?" And they said that they'd bought some woad pigment from Bleu de Lecture, which is near Albi. Albi was the Cathar capital, and they separated from the Pope in order to keep their wealth from woad growing.
1: Gosh. And
0: it stretched all the way to Nîmes, which is where yes. Denim comes from. It was de Nîmes; They dyed the Denim with
1: Fantastic. the
0: woad from, from Nîmes. Anyway, I saw this amazing wall and they very kindly shared with me that they had actually just added woad pigment from Bleu de Lecture, this company run by an American woman down in France, and added it to a lime wash. And so I asked them if they'd mind me Copying what they'd done and they were very sweet and gave me the recipe. And um, so you can, and in the same way that you can put ochre into lime wash.
1: Yeah, and copper Um, sulfate weirdly gives you that. I've seen it in monasteries in lime plaster where they've sprayed their grapes on a wall for decades and you get this incredible luminous turquoisey blue, which of course, you know, when you used to be able to use copper sulfate as a fungicide, it's no longer available, is it? But um, Bordeaux mixture. Yes. Uh, and it just gave you this most beautiful, beautiful sort of opaque but somehow radiant turquoise colour. Anyway, that's all utterly fascinating. And you've got to do a book, Tanya. I mean, it's just like all the history of it and pulling from around the world. I mean, you know, maybe maybe there is a book, but you would do it so brilliantly, I oh, think. Oh, thank you. Well,
0: I'd love to one day Yeah. when... When I don't have clients knocking on my door yeah, anymore. When you're no longer a garden designer. So. Yes. <laughs>
1: um, thank you so so much. Total um, I pleasure. I absolutely love that completely. So you know, it's just the thing. The reason I wanted to talk to Chan is the thing that you know we eat plants from the garden, we flower arrange with plants from the garden, we love uh, and celebrate plants from the garden. But the idea that they are then going to fill our lives inside with colour on our clothes, I just find completely life enhancing. thanks so much to tanya i found that completely riveting i love the idea of plants having yet another use don't we love our plants and our gardens next week i'm joined by someone very very exciting who's a really dear man and that is alan titchmarsh who you will all be longing to hear and i'm going to chat to him about his favorite varieties of tulips so i can't wait for that see you then You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk
0: about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at seroven.com.